While this podcast will cover information about how to access therapy and other mental health services, it is not intended to be a substitute for said services. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you feel you are in need of mental health assistance, please seek out licensed professional care in your area. Hello, dear listeners. I just wanted to give you an extra heads up this episode. We do have a couple of sections where we talk about hospitalization and suicide. So if you feel like that may be a trigger for you, please skip that those sections. And please, if you ever need any help or having suicidal thoughts or need to reach out for help, please call the National Suicide Hotline at one 800 273 8255 Not that type of therapy podcast. Welcome, folks, to Mental Health Quest, the therapist office and beyond. We're here to answer your questions about mental health, including how to access it, what it looks like, why should you do it, all of the above, and so much more. Hello, everyone. I'm Charlene McPherson. She, her, hers. I'm an LCSWC. And here's my co-host. Hello, and welcome back to Mental Health Quest. The therapist office and beyond. Uh, that was my really cool announcer voice. Um, my name is Benjamin Tights. I am a registered psychological assistant in California. I go by he, him, his. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. We're so excited to be meeting again for this new episode, How to Overcome Barriers to Therapy, which is like super, super, super important. Definitely. Well, and it's, it's what... I mean, it's barriers, so it's what keeps people from getting therapy or seeking out therapy, yeah. right? So the the we had a few business things to take care of at the, the top here. We'll make it quick. We wanted to thank everybody who has been listening to our intro and first episode. We're very excited to have listeners <laughs> at all, right? So Benjamin? excited. <laughs> um, I already had like people messaging me like, hey, I heard your podcast and it's awesome. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I, I just had like fanboy moments of myself. I'm right. a fan of my own self, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and so we just wanted to mention that if you're enjoying the podcast, please go on to whatever platform you're on. Give us five-star rating and review, hopefully, right? Please. Pretty please. Yeah. Because uh, that actually is how people will be able to find our podcast easier. At least I know on iTunes, um, the more reviews you get, the the better reviews you get, the more likely you move up in the new podcast, you know, realm where they might feature you on the front page. So if you all could do that for us, that would be great so that other people can find our amazing content. So the other thing is, is we also would like to, I think we mentioned this before, we would like to hear and answer any questions that you may have about mental health. We're here for you. So we would like to know what you would want to cover in our podcast sessions. So if you want to send your questions, concerns, or if you want to reach out to us just to talk to either one of us individually, you can email us at mentalhealthquest1 at gmail.com. 
Uh, you can also find us on, we have our official Twitter and Facebook up now. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and at MHQP, capital P podcast. So that's Mental Health Quest Podcast. Um, you can find us both on Twitter and Facebook. And that's again at MHQ, capital P podcast. <laughs> I guess that'll cover it. I, I right? hope they'll figure it out. So, I mean, just type in mental health quest and you'll find us. Yeah, exactly. So those are the business things. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Benjamin? I think that was it, I right? I think that we covered it. And, you know, if you're messaging us on the email, it doesn't just have to be about the podcast. You can email us. If you want to to speak to us individually about, you know, some more like professional related questions or whatever that don't need to be on the podcast, but you just wanted, you know, questions answered for your own education, send us an email, send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, and one of us will respond. Yep. All right. So I think we'll head on into this episode where we're covering barriers to therapy and how to overcome them. Uh, how you know you found a good therapist. That's a very important topic. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like you're not meshing with your therapist uh, or you feel like they're not correct fit for you, what do you do after that? A lot of people have asked this question about what do you do if you're just not meshing with your therapist? So we're going to cover that as well. Yeah. So... The first, the first thing we're going to cover are those barriers, right, Benjamin? And this is what keeps people from actually coming to therapy, seeking out therapy, and keeps people from seeking the help that they need, right? Yeah, and it, it kind of makes them feel like they're not worth the time or the effort of doing therapy. And there's so many aspects of, unfortunately, our civilization and our society that kind of push people away uh, from therapy. Some are, you know, institutional to the system of therapy and others are more social. Uh, but it it does, unfortunately, all coordinate and come together to basically mean that people who need help are not seeking it out, are not asking for it uh, because they think that they're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, yeah. they suffer alone and... You know, this mm -hmm. week, uh, this month actually is, you know, Suicide Prevention Month. And so I definitely yeah. want to say on behalf of both of us here at Mental Health Quest, if you are in need of help, please, there is help available. Please. There are suicide prevention hotlines. Uh, they are starting a national one, I believe. Uh, I don't know if it's out yet, but there is a national hotline. There's uh, each mm -hmm. state has their own hotlines as well. Please reach out to help. People do care and you are not alone. Yep, exactly. And so we definitely want to, part of what we wanted to do on this podcast is to decrease stigma, right, yeah. Benjamin? So we're going over these uh, barriers to therapy in order to maybe help people get past them or understand them a little bit better to be able to get past them, to be able to ask for help. So we have a whole list of these and we're just going to kind of go through, go through them and kind of talk about what we've heard people say, how we've kind of dealt with it, those type of things. So the first one we wanted to talk about is what I just said, right? Stigma and discrimination, right? That's always the um, high on the list, yeah. right? So, And I, 
I actually, you know, I used to uh, do presentations for a local like mental health nonprofit called NAMI, which they have chapters all over the mm -hmm. country. They have one in Maryland um, too. Yep. And so my local one, NAMI Orange County, has this uh, presentation where the speakers would go to high schools to talk about mm -hmm. mental health and stigma. So that way, hopefully, if you can reach these people earlier, then they're not going to, you know, succumb to stigma later on. And I did you know, whole presentations about stigma. And you'd be surprised. People don't even know what the word stigma means, but they're so affected mm. by it. That's a good point. So I'm mm -hmm. just going to, if it's okay, Charlene, I would like to just define yeah, stigma. Of course. Um, so mm -hmm. stigma is uh, beliefs, negative connotations, or um, social mores uh, and norms that contribute to ostracization or negative outlook towards a specific group or item or thing or practice. So basically mm -hmm. anything on a social or societal level that works to kind of make it so something is thought of as lower or lesser or not as important. And so when it comes right. to mental health, there's unfortunately a lot of stigma in the media um, because, you know, with people who uh, unfortunately have serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia and whatnot, mm -hmm. that they are involved in the criminal justice system, people tend to then mm -hmm. believe that mental health, which is not the same thing as mental illness, just putting that out there, that mental health is equal to being crazy mm -hmm. or being insane. And that's not the case. You know, you can have right. a mental illness and you can have poor mental health and not be involved in the criminal justice system. You you know, not yeah. every person with schizophrenia is going to go, you know, shooting people. In fact, research shows that people with mental health conditions and people with serious mental illnesses are less likely to be perpetrators of violence. Less likely. And more likely yep. to be victims of violence. Um, exactly. Because of this stigma, people tend to then treat them negatively and it's really detrimental to the whole society's mental health levels as a whole and yep. as we've now seen this whole pot in this whole pandemic i mean everybody's struggling with mental health but nobody wants to like admit that they're struggling because it's still considered taboo yeah and and we actually had one of our listeners alfredo send us in one barrier that uh he had seen or experienced or knew someone who had experienced this barrier. Um, he's a good friend, a social worker, and part of the Hispanic community. He said that, uh, believe it or not, family members actually discourage other family members from reaching out for mental health therapy because it's just not the cultural norm, mm -hmm. right? Um, you have different cultural norms. You have different ideas about what mental health is or is not. And how to deal with that? Do you deal with it in the family? Do you deal with it just alone? Uh, some of those those beliefs are out there. Yeah, right? and and almost every culture mm -hmm. has some kind of similar mindset towards mental health. It's actually very surprising that you know all sorts of cultures around the world have similar uh, beliefs about mental health. That it's you know it needs to be kept right. in the family. You don't tell other people. You know, we'll, we'll just hide it away. Right. And and another thing that that Alfredo had said was the the statement that I'm not crazy. You had mentioned that just a few minutes ago that 
being crazy is is when you go to see a therapist and it's actually number one the word crazy is not not a very nice word to begin with but if you're you're everybody has something they want to be working on mm-hmm. right so it doesn't have to be something like schizophrenia or something like that to be able to to reach out for help to be able to reach your goals that's that's what we're here for is to help you reach your goals whatever those may be yeah and you know unfortunately this the statement of crazy it's become so mm-hmm. synonymous with uh like asylums and prisons and serial killers you know thanks to so many lovely documentary series and netflix series which you know while entertaining do not help to kind of dispel this stigma you know right. crazy is not a diagnosis Mm-mm. in fact you know as someone who's worked with psychotic individuals i've met a lot of people with that are psychotic but not crazy yeah um you know they have mental illnesses they yes they have delusions and and hallucinations but they're not crazy in the way that society views craziness craziness is right there's nobody is like that in real life all the stigma yeah and and i think that kind of runs into what we have right here which is is a fear of diagnosis Mm -hmm. right because of that stigma going in to see a therapist and admit that i'm having any issues or i need help with my problems or whatever it is people are afraid of what the diagnosis might be yeah they're afraid that they're Right. They're afraid of being labeled as crazy, you know, with schizophrenia or bipolar or anxiety or depression or whatever it is. And it's actually, I always tell my clients that the label, yes, while I completely understand the label is not very much fun, it's not something that you want, Mm -hmm. right? It's there to be able to educate you on how it presents in other people the same ways or different ways that that you do but also it means that there's treatment it means that it is an answer to your questions it means you don't know what's wrong with you exactly here this is the answer right this is the answer and as a therapist if we know that answer that label then we go okay and and later we'll cover types of therapies and and diagnoses and things like that we go okay we know this is what's part of what's going on so we know this works well, or this type of therapy works well, or this type of, of um, specific uh, uh, unit works mm-hmm. well, right? So we actually are able to use that to be able to help you, right? And it's, so again, it's very similar yeah. to, you know, if you have a medical issue, you know, mm-hmm. let's say you're, you're struggling with, you know, chest pains or whatever, uh, you, you know, you need to get a label from your doctor in order to know what's wrong, just so that way you don't constantly wonder what's that there is something wrong with you. Sometimes just right. knowing that, look, there's a name for it. It means if there's a name for it, it means it's been seen before. It means you're not alone. And that is the right, exact right. same thing with mental health. So many people believe that they are the only ones struggling with mm-hmm. this problem because nobody talks about it. But right. it means that just by saying, look, here's this, here's what it's called. Other people have this too. And it means you are not alone. You are right. part of, you know, this, this human society, you are part of this world and you deserve to be a part of it. Yeah. And I've, I've had people say like, 
you know, they're afraid of the unknown after the label, which is completely understandable, totally. But what I, what I usually say to that is, is you're already suffering from this. It's not that all of a sudden I give you a diagnosis and you're suffering from it now. It's that we just gave a name to what you're already mm-hmm. going through, right? And we don't want you to have to go through that anymore. So we have a name for it. So then we have a treatment for it. So that we have an answer for yeah. it, if right? You, if you name it, you tame it. Right, right. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. If you name it, you tame it. That's and, a good you one. know, that works for not even just actual diagnoses, but just understanding, you know, what is it that you're struggling with? Some people, you know, their emotions are just, you know, very strong in general, and they struggle with managing anxiety or anger or whatever, and not to the point that it's a disorder, but just that it's something that they struggle with, and they don't know how to label their emotions. They don't know, mm-hmm. oh, this is anxiety, what I'm feeling. They just mm. they just feel it physically, and it, you know. Right. So you give it a name, it means you know what to work on. Right, exactly. And so um, a- another barrier that kind of goes along with that is, is kind of fear of hospitalization, mm-hmm. right? Like how many times have you heard people be like, I didn't go to therapists because I was afraid they were going to send me to the hospital. I actually many, many times. Maybe for you. I've yet to hear that in my, in my, you know, oh, personal no. therapy, but I've worked in hospitals. I've, you know, worked yeah. in psychiatric hospitals and I've seen it there, you know, nobody wants to be yeah. in the hospital. I don't no. want you to be in the hospital. This hospital staff don't want you to be in the hospital. But, mm-hmm. you know, the problem is We're that sometimes help. it get your mental health is not taken care of to the extent that you, you know, are not able to care for yourself. And then that means that a hospitalization is necessary. It is a last resort. Hospitalization is a last resort. Last resort. And that's what, that's what I kind of wanted to say with this was, you know, in therapy, you know, in the past 12 years, I've heard this over and over and over again. I'm afraid that my therapist is going to send me to the hospital because of what's going on. And just to be clear, there are only very few times that we have to send someone to the hospital. And within those times, there's definitely uh, a scale where you have to to look at, you know, we're talking about suicidality, like, you know, okay, are you just having thoughts? If you're just having thoughts, they're fleeting thoughts. No, we don't want them. We want those to go away. But I'm not going to send you to the hospital for that. If you have a plan, if you have intent to follow out a plan, or I always say to my clients too, if you are afraid that you are going to follow out a plan because you have a bad day or something like that, that's when I send you to the hospital. Thoughts themselves are not a reason to go to the hospital. It's whether those thoughts are affecting you to the point where you feel like you can't control them anymore. It's basically a matter of, it's a level of danger. You know, just having thoughts is not a problem. But if you are in danger of acting on it, then that's when hospitalization is necessary. But there's also laws that surround hospitalization. And we'll cover that in another episode about different levels of care. Yes. But just know that, you know, therapists can't just send you to the hospital willy nilly. Uh, You know, there are strict legal criteria that have to be met before we can even contact a crisis team or, you know, a hospital or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and we will do everything in our power to make it so you don't have to go to the hospital. That's what we're here for. We want you to be able to live your life in the community live the life you want to live 
and not be in the hospital. Right. Moving on to our, our next one, we, we talked about um, navigating the system was our last episode, mm-hmm. right? Like that is a huge barrier. And that's why we're doing this podcast is we want to make it more known, the system known, how to navigate the system, how to get um, the, the services you need, right? And so um, trying to find a therapist, if, if you're listening to this episode and you didn't listen to our last episode, please go back <laughs> and listen to our last episode because that's what the entire episode is about, is navigating the system, finding a therapist, um, and even what questions to ask once you're in that, that therapy office. Yeah. Right? And this kind of system, unfortunately, is not easily navigable, hence why we're doing this podcast. Right. But the complexity of the system and the various different kinds of therapists and the various different, you know, insurance, you know, coverages and everything, which, again, we talked about in a past episode and we will talk mm-hmm. about further in future episodes. It makes it so that people just feel overwhelmed and will just decide, you know what, I'll just deal with it on my own or I'll just talk to a friend. And, you know, yes, that's great that you can talk to your friend, but sometimes there are things that your friend can't help you with and you don't want to burden right. your friends, you know, too much. Mm-hmm. They want to help you. Right. Yes. But there's this. Are they, are they trained to be, able to... to be able to handle it appropriately? Um, and yeah. I think that, you know, the fear of navigating the system also coincides with something, you know, that is the next thing to talk about is time commitment. Mm-hmm. If you're actually seeking out, you know, one-on-one individual private practice outpatient therapy, well, that's about an hour, you know, 50 to 60 minutes out of your day that you will be in therapy. Yep. Uh, not to mention however long it takes you to drive to the office if you're going in person. That requires scheduling and, you know... In our modern world, we're very busy. We have work. We have, you know, social obligations. We have school. We have this. We have that. And some people, you know, find it difficult to to fit this therapist into their schedule, even if they found the therapist that works for them. And this has been happening with me as a therapist. I'm trying to, like, schedule new clients. And unfortunately, like, the schedules just don't mesh well because my availabilities right. don't match theirs. And... You know, I do my best to be flexible because I know that if they can't find a therapist whose schedule fits with them, they might just give up. And I don't want that. Right. Um, Yeah. So this is, I think, another question that maybe we should have mentioned in the last episode about what to talk to your therapist about. But if you know that therapy is what you want and what you need, find out if there's any flexibility in your schedule to make it work um, because it is important. If it is something for your health, you need to find a way to kind of make it work. Right. But it is something that's very difficult for people to to schedule out and that can lead people to not seek it out. Yeah. And if it is, uh, if time commitment is something that's hard for you, like I have a, a seven-year-old son, like time commitment is <laughs> is definitely a thing. Um, that's where telehealth might come in handy, right? Because there's no travel time. Um, that's where scheduling every other week um, may help or once a month, yeah. even if it's just something that you need to work on, and that's something to talk to your therapist about and what they're comfortable with as well. But if that's all the time you have uh, us as therapists, that's what we're going to try and work mm-hmm. with. Right. We'd rather you be in, um, getting what you need rather than being out on your own and trying to deal with it on your yeah. own. So definitely if time commitment's an issue, look for telehealth, 
look for those those options that kind of cut down on that time. Yeah. I think that also goes with another one is money, which we, again we did talk mm. about. Yes, uh, we did talk about last episode. We will have a whole episode about you know paying for therapy um, coming up mm-hmm. soon. But money is a, is a factor, and you know insurances. You know if they cover, great, but sometimes they don't cover everything, and so you still have a copay. And that copay right. can quite can be quite a lot, um, mm-hmm. you know. And not everybody has the money to pay for therapy every week or even every other week. That kind of fear of spending money, people trying to kind of make th- make ends meet, it's very difficult. But there are, right. as we mentioned in the last episode, and we will mention again in the future episode, there are therapists that you know offer sliding scale, low cost therapy. Um, oftentimes, if you go to a, like a group practice or like a, a clinic, uh, they will have interns like myself who are, you know, associate level. They're not fully licensed. They're earning their hours for licensure. But if you are seen by an intern, it's a lower cost um, because they're not fully licensed. And uh, sometimes that can be just enough to help people to go in and see the therapy. So, you know, look to see if maybe the, the psychologist that you're or licensed professional that you're talking to has an intern that they supervise that can actually see you for a lower cost, you know, or talk about sliding scales, various other things. We will talk about that in greater detail in the future episode. Yeah. And we actually had a a listener talk about this for them, how it was a barrier for themselves uh, trying to get therapy for both themselves and their partner with a a really high copay it just wasn't possible mm-hmm. right especially if you're both going yeah <laughs> if you're both going once a week you know that's that's double the amount right and even with insurance you you can have a deductible uh, you know where you're paying the full amount of session rather than just mm-hmm. a copay so it's it definitely can add up really quick and does get in the way for many many people yeah it definitely does and another part of uh, the whole, you know, kind of, I guess kind of, we could have mentioned it with the fear of diagnosis and stigma is something called cognitive dissonance, which is basically when, you know, the way you see yourself, your self-perception doesn't match with what is actually in reality. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, you start realizing things about yourself that you didn't notice before. And people don't like that. That's uncomfortable to realize that we have flaws. No. Um, I always, yeah, I always say to my clients, you know, that this is the one thing that I hear over and over and over again is, why would I come to therapy if it makes me feel bad? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, yeah. I totally get that. I had I had one client that that talked about how I made them cry every single time they walked in. It is uncomfortable, right? It is, um, you're making a change. Anytime you try and make a change to your behaviors, to your thought process, through to anything, right? Any routine, you're going to have cognitive dissonance, which is feeling icky or feeling like it's wrong or feel, I always tell clients too, you're going to feel like you're lying to yourself when you're trying to create that new, mm-hmm. that new behavior or that new pathway or that new thought process. Um, and we'll go over cognitive distance a little bit more in, in another episode, but 
uh, it's definitely one of those things that that does become a barrier if before therapy or while you're in therapy, right? That that it just feels icky sometimes. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of emotional work. And, and one thing that mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you said, they don't like it because you make them cry. <laughs> yeah. One thing that my supervisor, one of my supervisors, told me is that uh, if you're not crying then you're not talking about the right thing. Right. Uh, if you're crying, that's where your truth is. Right. And that's the thing that you need to, that needed to be discussed. Yeah. Um, so and... <laughs> whenever my, my clients cry in session and they start apologizing, no, no, no. Oh, no. Yep. Cry. Yeah. Let's cry. <laughs> well, and, and this is a space that's safe to cry. And if someone is is able to come and and deal with their stuff in a way that that is really deep and and satisfying you may be crying every time but that means that you feel like this is a safe space to do that and that is a good thing that's not a bad thing right again definitely costs a lot of emotional energy not saying it's the most fun thing in the world but um it definitely is a space where it's safe to do those things um and that's what we want that's all we want it, is, exactly is you know people you. are not used to crying in front of strangers um and so it can be kind of strange for them yeah um, <laughs> but it is okay to cry as i just said you know if you're crying that's where the truth is um yeah. we definitely there were other barriers such right. as you know there's no standardized rating system for therapists and other cultural factors but we kind of covered the biggest ones um yeah and so now I, I kind of want to move in a bit to kind of find out, well, how do you know if your therapist is right for you? Um, this is called, you know, having a good rapport with your therapist when both of you can be on the same level and you can feel safe with your therapist. That First of all, that is the biggest thing. Do you feel safe mm. with this person? Yeah. Do you feel comfortable talking to them about your problems? Because if that first the that first thing is not you know checked off, then already you're not even going to go further. You know you need to feel safe with this person. You need to feel like that you knew you can vibe with them, and that oftentimes can happen. You know while you're just talking to them on the phone, asking them questions before while scheduling the session, or even in that first intake session where they're just asking you a bunch of questions, you can get. You know, you can find out a lot about the therapist and how your relationship is going to be just by that first session. And I've had clients, um, you know, where I did the intake session and then they told me later that, you know, they just didn't feel like we were a right fit. And I said, that is totally fine. You are allowed to find the right therapist that fits best for you. And let me help you with that. Let me, you know, see if there's someone else in this practice who, who I think might be a better for you and you. It's shopping. You got to find the right fit. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, and to to what, a couple of like concrete things that you can do also to check to see whether this therapist is you know at least within <laughs> the uh, the licensing board, right? So you can actually go and search up their license in whatever type of board they have. I know in social work, it's the um, board of social work examiners for Maryland. Um, you can actually go look up their license and see if they're in good standing. And good standing means that there's no complaints, that their license is, is good, 
um, and that uh, they don't have a, sometimes I think you can also look up the history of whether they have any um, complaints and things like that to the license. So um, definitely doing that as a, as a, you know, a concrete way of looking at whether this person is, is at least licensed like they say they are, right? Yeah. Checking the, checking the license is always the first thing because that is public records. You just go onto whatever board it is in whichever state you are in. Uh, as, as Charlene said, for social workers in Maryland, it's board of social work examiners in California. It's the board of behavioral sciences, um, for social workers, for psychologists, it would be the board of psychology. Um, and you just type in the person's name and it will tell you, you know, when the license was given, when it was renewed, if it was renewed yet, you know, and any other important information such as are there supervisors? So like for me, I am, you know, a registered psychological assistant means I'm in basically an intern. My registration is connected with the licenses of my supervisors. So you will see on my page of the board of psychology, these two supervisors. Mm-hmm. And you then you can check to make sure that my supervisors are in good standing. So that way, you know that I'm getting the right training to help you. Right. Yeah. And so that's a very concrete way. And we wanted to also cover some kind of like in session ways, uh, kind of what you're you're seeing while you're in session talking to your therapist. Um, Benjamin, you had mentioned, you know, that vibe, right? Like, I definitely wanted to kind of solidify some of those things where you can go through systematically and say, okay, this is why I'm vibing with this person, right? Let me ask mm-hmm. this question. Let me identify this to see why I vibe with them or why I don't vibe, right? So one of the things we did want to talk about was making sure your therapist actually listens to you, right, Benjamin? You know, that's kind, kind of, of a, our whole kind job. Of whole thing about therapists, like if they're not listening to you, then what are they there for? Exactly. What's the point? So making sure that you hear, you know, you feel heard, right? That Mm -hmm. there are some therapists out there that are more focused on, you know, problem solving than actually listening and validating um, the feelings of what the client uh, is, right? Sometimes that's appropriate, right? But sometimes it's not, right? So if you're looking for a problem solver therapist, then that's good. If it's not, then you might not feel as validated or as, as vibey. I'm going to go with vibey. Yeah, I like that word. <laughs> but also, you know, even before you get to the problem solving stage of the therapy, you still, yeah. need, to, you still need to vibe with the therapist right. and they need to still listen to you because how can they solve a problem if they don't listen to what you are saying? Exactly. Um, I feel like, you know, that, that first part, the listening and validating uh, and being empathetic that that is the like that's our whole thing like you don't go to you know a therapist for you know other things you go because you want to be validated and because you right and you know you need someone who's going to listen to you you know and and actually take what you say into consideration and not try to just tell you what to do we don't we right. don't tell you what to do we tell you no. our, we tell you our impressions based off of what you say, but it's up to you to actually do the work. Right. Yeah, and and that that I always tell people too that at the beginning of of a relationship, a therapy relationship, it we we have to earn your trust. Like you're talking about your 
deep, dark secrets to us. And you have to be able to trust us that we're, we're going to validate you that we're going to say it's okay. Like what you're feeling is normal, (laughs) you know, in this type of situation that you're, that the therapist isn't going to freak out and send you to the hospital. Right. (laughs) So it's, it's definitely part of, of that listening and validating and communicating um, and all those things that is what earns your trust as, as a client, right. That, that you then can learn that this person is here to help you. They're not going to respond in a way that's, that's toxic. Right. Um, and that includes not rushing treatment. Right. So that's what we're talking about, Ben, right. Is, is that you need the validation, you need the rapport, you need the trust, all that different kind of stuff before you can get to the problem solving, yeah, right? Exactly. At least that's how I work in my therapy. That's um, I, that's how I was trained. I mean, right. you have to, though, because if they don't trust you, they're not going to tell you what their problem is. Right, exactly. So then you can be the best problem solving person ever, but if they don't trust you, they're not going to take your advice. They're right, not going exactly. to tell you everything, in which case the problem that you're solving might not be the problem that needs solving. Right, right. So, and, and you had said, you know, teaching the tools, right, too, like that, that is what our job is. It's not to actually fix the problems, right? <laughs> We're just somebody who is trained in how to listen, validate, and then teach. teach you maybe different tools to be able to use to be able to cope with whatever's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um and and there's a whole range of solutions, right? Like, yeah. Benjamin, you do a lot of geek therapy. Yeah. I do a lot of geek therapy. I do the RPG therapy, the role-playing game therapy. You know, there's a range of solutions and one therapist isn't going to try and fit you into a peg, shouldn't try and fit you into a peg yeah. to be able to just do their type of therapy. If and that's the case, they need to refer out to someone exactly. else. Exactly. And the whole point of, you know, uh, there's there's a common thing. People will go to therapists saying, okay, fix me. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way. Um, I, I, I'm sure you might've heard of this, you might've heard of this joke, but how many therapists does it take to screw in a light bulb? Uh, how many Benjamin? Just one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Want to fix it. <laughs> exactly. You know, the, you know, the therapist is not there to fix you. We're there to teach you yeah. how to fix yourself. Um, right. Exactly. You know, and so I, I like how the, we said, it. you know, we, we listen, we validate and we teach. And that's, right. that's totally what it is. Right. And I, and I think we're, we're safe to kind of move into some red flags here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of the times when I was reading the, the Reddit posts and things like that, it was, should my therapist have done this? <laughs> is this a red flag or is this a normal thing? <laughs> so we wanted to kind of go over the, the, the good things, which is what we just did. Now we're going to get over some of the, the, not so good things, the the red flags yeah. that you want to look out for. Yeah, and I think definitely uh, one of the biggest red flags, uh, you know, is do they call you by your preferred name slash pronouns? Yes, that um, would be so important. In my in my in the clinic that I work in, um, that is actually the first one of the first questions we ask in the intake is. Okay, how do you want to be called? Do you have a nickname that you want to be called? And what are your preferred pronouns? Uh, that's like the first thing I ask. And you know, mo- and I, it's actually funny how most people are not used to that. Um, most clients are not used to being asked that. They just assume that people are just going to make an assumption about them. 
And I mean, I, I hate making assumptions. I don't like people assuming things about me. Um, and so, you know, it, it actually was kind of funny that I, I just had an intake the other day and I asked that question and the client was like kind of thrown for a loop. Like, Wait, you, yeah. you actually, you actually care? I was right. like, well, yeah, that's you. Yeah. I mean, what? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. if they're not, if they're not taking your preferred modes of communication and everything into account that's a big red flag for me right definitely yeah and and the other thing too is when you're starting with a therapist right they should go through their process they should go through and tell you okay this is what we're this is where we're starting you know here's how we know that therapy will be done right I always tell my clients that I am trying to put myself out of business right so that the whole point is that I'm teaching you these tools so that you don't need me anymore. Exactly. You don't need to come to therapy anymore. I, I want you may you need to, to come not, in every once in a while. Yeah, I want you to not have to see me every week. If you want to come in every right. so often, great. But like, if, you know, otherwise, and I said the same thing to my clients in the hospital. is like, I don't want you to come back. Right. <laughs> Please don't come back. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want you to have to see my ugly mug again. Right. You know, if you if you need me, I'm here, but please don't come yeah. back. <laughs> but I want you to not need me, you know, because right. that just means that you're struggling and I don't want that. But another thing is, and this was actually told to me by a friend of mine, is a big red flag of a therapist is not even looking at you during the session. Like, yeah, it's fine if they look down occasions to take notes. That's one thing. But if they're not even looking at you at all um if they seem to be zoned out or actually falling asleep yeah i can't that, how do you that, do that i don't know I how don't people can do that but a friend of mine told me that that happened to them um oh, and i was just like get out get out yeah fast. yeah um, uh, yeah so you know the, the therapist needs to be you know engaged with what you're saying and if they're not giving you their full attention Mm-hmm. even in that first session and, and and this it goes along with it's kind of similar to relationships in dating you know if uh if they're not if, if you are seeing these red flags at the beginning but you try to justify yourself like oh well they still have other good qualities so i'm gonna give them a chance no yeah you're, you're already <laughs> you're already sinking in further. you know if, yeah. if you see a red flag at first and you don't feel comfortable in that first instinct it's not right Right. And right. And, I, I, and and a good therapist will tell you, if you don't feel comfortable with me, I'm not going to take that personally. Yeah. Let me know. Let, let me know let too me know. so I can yeah. fix it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is something wrong, right? <laughs> you know, so red flag is if they're not paying attention to you, if they're not really even like present in the, in the session, whether it be virtual or in person, like if they're not mentally present, if they seem distracted by other things, or if... Here's another big one. If they unload on you about their stresses. Uh-huh. So like yeah. we all, every therapist goes to school and we learn about like counter-transference and everything, but like it, it unfortunately happens. And, you know, there's a line you can say, yes, I've gone through similar things to kind of make you feel understood. But if they tell you too much, like they start telling you about their problems that that's definitely not good. I mean, there was actually just a, a, a movie on Netflix where that happened, where the, the the therapist, you know, like tried that as his new type of therapy. Oh, great movie! 
to teach you everything you should not do as a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. you know, and <laughs> he basically was telling his all of his problems to the to the patient as a means of like showing the patient that he's human also and like it's okay for her to struggle. Like the sentiment is nice, but then the patient is then put into a role where they have to comfort the therapist. Right. And that's not what you're there and, for. And, yeah, that's not what you're there for. We're there to comfort you. Right. The other way around. If I need a company, right. I'll go to my own therapist. Right. Or my exactly. supervisor. You know, or whatever. Right. So yeah, those are some really so, big ones that I've seen and that I've been told. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, you know, if you feel like your, your therapist is judgmental, they're not listening to you, they're not working on the goals you're actually interested in. Um, if they cancel all the time, if they just don't seem to be very, you know, uh, stable or um, you're able to count on them, then that's something to, those are a bunch of red flags yeah. as well. And you are more um, than allowed. In fact, you are encouraged to say, you know what, this is not working out. And right. I would like to find another therapist. And, right. you know, yes, and, it's, it's daunting to find another therapist, as we've just discussed. But right. if that's what you need, then that's what you need. Right. And if that therapist gets that feedback and can't take that feedback. So if there is something going on that you feel is <sighs> oh, is yeah. not right and you just want to talk about it and, and bring it up to the therapist to see what they say, like that to me, that's great. That's what I want you to do. But if the therapist can't handle that feedback and gets defensive or angry or whatever, then that's a red flag, right? Like Mm -hmm. we need to be able to, you know, we need to be able to have conversations that are hard, right? So yes, you might get angry at me and that's absolutely okay. But let's have a conversation about that, a calm conversation about that. If if I get defensive too, it's it's not not going to help the situation. Yeah. So that's a that's a definitely a big one. If the therapist is getting defensive um, and trying to justify what they're saying, like uh, from the outset, like they're telling you at the beginning, oh, I promise I'm experienced and stuff like that. Like they they're, they're not confident. If they're defensive, they're you know, right. And, warning, warning. And, yeah, and you could also have the opposite end, which is making guarantees and and, and promises, right? Yeah, if they're overconfident, yeah. right. And that that's not good either no, we <laughs> because we, because then they're not going to take feedback. And it, yeah. And it's just not the truth. We can't give you a guarantee yeah. or promise. Make no like promises. <laughs> right. The exactly. only promise is that, you know what, we're going to figure this out or really attempt to. That's the only promise I can make is that I will try, but you know, it, I can't promise guarantee any results. Um, but those are some of the biggest red flags when it comes to, uh, you know, finding the right therapist or in that case, the wrong therapist. Um, <laughs> we also talked about some really good, you know, green flags. Like, you know, they validate you. They listen. They take the flexible. They're flexible with your schedule. They really try to make it work. That's a really bright green flag, um, which you never hear that phrase used. Green flag. It's only ever green a Green flag. flag. Yeah. Come on, yeah. let's make green flags a thing. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, this episode was intended so that way you can kind of consider in your own experiences as you're trying to navigate the therapy system, are you coming across these barriers that have stopped you from seeking out help? Okay. Now that you know that these are the barriers, maybe there's a way that you can work around it. Um, and 
are you in therapy and you've come across these red flags, now you know that it's okay to leave that therapeutic relationship. Right. So, and so, yeah, if, and, and that's our, our next point, right. Is, is what, what do you do if there, it's not a good fit. If you see those red flags and we kind of talked about it, which is like, you know, talk to the therapist. If the therapist responds in a way that is positive and, you know, takes that feedback and says, I'm sorry, I apologize. You know, that's something different. If the therapist can't take that feedback or you feel like it's such an egregious type of, of red flag that you can't even talk about it, it's time to move on. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can always try out more than one therapist. It's encouraged. Right, exactly. Like try out multiple at a time so that you can figure out who's a good fit. Yeah. Um, um, a friend of mine just recently, she said, oh, I had three intake sessions this last week with three different therapists. And I was like, okay, and which yeah. one did you like the most? And she's right. like, well, I like this one, you know, but this one's schedule is better. Okay. And that's why you're doing this. You know, some sometimes the intake session, sometimes the consultation session doesn't get charged. Sometimes it does. Definitely check with that. We mentioned that in the last episode. But try them out. And if the therapist is not able to make the changes that you need, you are allowed and encouraged to say, you know what? I have to end this therapeutic relationship. And another thing is if you are being seen by an intern, uh, an associate marriage family therapist, an associate clinical social worker, a psychological assistant, or however they're called in other states, they have to give you their, their supervisor's information because they're operating under their supervisor's license. If you have a problem with the therapist and, they're, and they have a supervisor, let the supervisor know because it's the supervisor's job to, to teach them the skills that they need to be better therapists. So I always, the, I, my intake sessions, I give the name of my supervisor and say, if you need to talk to her, let me know and I'll give you her number. And that's, you are more than allowed to do that. Yeah. And if, if you're like in a group practice too, like there's other there's therapists, other therapists there's the a clinical director, there's, you know, other people who you can then seek out to, for support and guidance. Right. Right. And it, the one thing I, I did want to kind of cover right at the end was um, what types of red flags are um, licensing board calls. Well, what types of red flags are yeah. not acceptable in any way, shape, or form? I think the biggest one is inappropriate um, relationships. So having a dual relationship. So if they're your therapist, but they're also your friend or a family member or whatever, big red flag. But then if they are attempting to get into a you know romantic or sexual relationship with you, like that's probably the biggest red flag. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. They, if they are, if if you feel even like in the slightest bit, like fine, you might think that they're good looking, whatever. But if they're flirting with you, or yeah. it even seems that way, yeah. Oh, hail to the no. Um, uh-uh. You know, and that is that's probably the number one thing. But then if the, uh, so, one of my supervisors, she is the president of the. Um, of our county's psychological association. And she, she also deals with um, monitoring people who are on man from the board or on report from mm. the board. So she tells me all these stories and a lot of them are more relating to basically the therapist is not maintaining the therapeutic boundaries. 
So they're trying to turn the relationship into something more, whether it's romantic, sexual, or otherwise. If they're trying to be your friend outside of therapy, you might think that's great because you want a new friend, but that's not appropriate for the therapist to no. do because it will make them not as objective in their work. Right. And, and uh, you know, uh, one thing I wanted to say, too, is that I saw on the, the kind of the Reddit threads and everything was, um, you know, <laughs> touching. Right. So I'm not necessarily talking about like sexual touching or no. whatever. It's like, oh, you're crying. So, you know, usually if you're in a friendship or something like that, someone might put their hand on your hand or they yeah. might put your hand on your shoulder or something like that. What I have always been taught, and again, this is my experience, you know, this is my modality, is is that there is no touching. Oh, yeah. You know, there is no putting your hand on their hand. There is no hugs. There, nothing. Yeah, the only... That's just inappropriate. Yeah, the only time I ever touch is shaking their hand at the beginning, you know, if they they want to. uh, Right. You know, or sometimes, like, with a kid, I'll do a fist bump or whatever before we even get into session, if we're, like, in the lobby or, or whatever. Right, right. That's that's one thing. But in session, I sit on one end of the room. You're on the oh. other end of the room. I'm not going to sit next to you. I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to breach your bubble. Right, exactly. And so if that is happening, that is one of those top ten red flags that, you know, that's where you just get out. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and some people, you know, some modalities are a little bit more less strenuous on that, but as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> yeah, and, I'm not and, touching anybody. <laughs> yeah. I, right. yes, there are just some, not appropriate. some therapists have that style where they're very touchy feely. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm not trying to tell you that those therapists are bad. Some clients, yeah need that and work well with that but in my training uh mm-hmm. it's always been told that that is not uh appropriate yeah, because not appropriate. it blends the bound it blends the barriers too much it blends the boundaries you you wouldn't do that with your doctor uh, right you wouldn't do that with uh your cardiologist you you wouldn't yeah. you you know if if your you know medical doctor was was doing that with you it, it would be weird same thing with yeah. a therapist. Same same <laughs> exactly. thing with a therapist. I mean, heck, anybody. If you go to any professional, if you go to yeah. you go to your accountant and they're touching you like that, like what the... <laughs> uh-uh. no. So any, I'm any gone. <laughs> professional needs to have professional boundaries, right? Exactly. And the therapist, especially because people are vulnerable in that moment, right? So right, definitely. I think that's a really good place to end it, though. You know, that big yeah. warning of no touchy. No touchy. No touchy. No touchy. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So I I hope you all got some good information out of this. I know, you know, it may be not the most exciting things to talk about. It may be some even not fun things to talk about. But, um, but hopefully important. that'll give you the, yeah, hopefully it give you the information you need to be able to, you know, advocate for yourself if you need to, to do whatever you need to do to get the help you need. So next time... We're going to actually cover how does therapy work? And that is a big question. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be multiple parts to that. So if anyone has any questions that they want to ask us before we record that episode, please send it to our email, Twitter, or Facebook. So we can make yes. sure to include your questions in our episode. 
Right. And if we include it, we definitely will ask your permission before we include it um, and whatever, ask what you're comfortable with including. Yeah. So we want to make sure that people feel comfortable um, uh, submitting things. So that's what we're going to do next time. And hopefully you'll get some good information there. Uh, I think that's it topic wise. So just wanted to say you can find me, Charlene, at Nat20 Therapy on both Facebook and Twitter. Benjamin, where can they find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at My Hero Therapy. That is my other podcast that I do where we discuss the psychology of the My Hero Academia anime and we learn how to be heroes in real life. Um, but you can also just follow this podcast you know for sure mm-hmm. um and email us um if you need to send a personal you know message uh i'm also on twitter at bst psych nerd uh i don't really post too much more just retweeting mm-hmm. lots of things from other people but mm-hmm. it's a good way to reach me if i don't reach out to you on this one which i would still do that too so <laughs> all right well that's it and i hope you all have a good day Turtles. Please take care of yourselves and make today amazing. Mm-hmm.